Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello, Chris Evans here. Welcome to the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Singe from Virgin Radio. Coming up, the iconic Richard E. Grant tells us sublime stories from his brand new audio book with nails, the film diaries of Richard E. Grant, and they are delicious. Hilarious foodie, Ed Gamble, dishes up the details of Series 18 of BBC Two's The Great British Menu. And baking businesswoman Prue Leith plates up what we should expect from her first ever live show, Nothing in Moderation. All of that and so much more to come, so Vassos, kick things off and tell us who's up first. Our next guest will make you titter and judge your fritter. He's a comedian and presenter who returns to series 18 of The Great British Menu, which is back on BBC Two from 8pm tomorrow. And as guests go, he's the safest of safe bets. He's Ed Gamble. Hello, Ed. Hello. (laughs) How are you, mate? Very, very good, thank you. I'm the safest of safe bets, but I am quite late this morning, so sorry about that. don't you worry, but it's not your fault, is it? It's um, it's other people's. Let's not play the blame It's everyone's fault, apart. From mine. The yeah. point is, you're here. That's yeah. the point. Okay, and the Great British Menu is back tonight. Yes, tonight Start BBC tonight. Two. It's so exciting. It's very exciting. Yes, I'm. I'm not on it until uh, until later on in the week. I know because I watched the first episode. I watched the first like, two episodes. Hang on a minute. Where is he? I think we've got the wrong end here. <laughs> no, because I'm one of the judges who comes in on the last day of the week to judge all of the dishes from the people who've got through during the week. So it's just just the chefs for the for the yeah. first few days of the week. Now, yeah. this, our job is pretty bad, isn't it? It's one of the worst jobs in the world. <laughs> but you might just just be out doing us. What a terrible job you've got. It's pretty awful. So, I'm out there listen, doing God's work. We're doing these jobs so other people don't have to. You should be thanking us. You can text us now, 8722. Yeah. Just say thank you, Chris. Thank you, Vassos. <laughs> thank you, Ed. So how did you how did you get this terrible job? Well, uh, as you know, Chris, I do a food podcast you as do? well. So uh, I uh, I got to be a guest judge on Great British Menu a couple of series ago, and they obviously thought this guy can this guy can really take the heat. <laughs> this guy can deal with all the hurdles we're going to throw in his way. Basically, I can eat eight full main courses in a row without without sweating. All right, and eating on telly is an art form. I th- we we talk about this quite a lot. Rick St- Rick Stein is the best because what he can do is he can in front of whoever it is, whether he's in Barcelona or, or Birmingham, it doesn't really matter. So he's on screen and he's tasting something and he takes a massive forkful and he, he eats it. So he introduces it. Oh, I'm really looking forward to this and this has got this in. And I saw them do this with it and you know I've been wondering how to create this forever. I wonder what it tastes like. And then he takes a big forkful and then you get ready for the edit and they don't edit and he just seems to swallow it like a snake and carry on talking so he's our best on-screen swallower but you're a pretty close second I have to say well thank you very much yeah I mean they do have to do a lot in the edit because I really go into a meal you know I really get down into it so I think a lot of the shots are of the top of my head and I make horrible food noises but they, they make me look good Okay, did you ever think in a million years you would be doing this as part of your illustrious career? Absolutely, absolutely <laughs> but you not. you can't believe it, can Every you? Every single day I'm there, I sit there thinking, this is it. I've so, I must have done something great in a previous life yeah. because this is the ab- the best career I could and have And they're going to find got. out, I mean, imposter syndrome 
must be off the charts with respect because we've all been in that situation. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, because I'm on a panel with Nisha Katona and Tom Kerridge. <laughs> I know. Tom's got, you know, two Michelin star He's restaurants. He's got all the Michelin stars. Yeah, and then Nisha has got an in, insanely popular uh, chain of restaurants as well and yeah. is a brilliant food writer. Uh, and I'm just sat there going, oh, well, I just like dinner. <laughs> well, which is what we want, isn't it? Because you represent us, I suppose. Yeah, I think so. Is that the, is that I think the that's idea? The, ge- the general idea. Yeah. That's the general idea. But, and you're not the host of it, because one could be forgiven for thinking you were the host. No, it's An- Andy Oliver is the yeah. brilliant host. He's on all the episodes. She's there She's there all week, and she's yeah. brilliant. She really knows her stuff and really gets to know the chefs. And, so yeah, somebody she's else fantastic. who knows all about food. Yes, she knows all about food. Obviously, the chefs know all about the food. All of the crew know way more about food than me. Oh, but you love it. Your podcast is great. Let's just talk, touch on that for a second or two. Um, so you, you, you did this with Annie Acaster, and, um, James Acaster, rather, and... Uh, I listened to the Charlotte Church episode because uh, you always kick off with like uh, favourite food or whatever. And she says melted cheese on a plate. Cheese on a plate. That's her. <laughs> I mean, not toast, not bread. No. Just cheese on a plate. But it has to be melted on the plate. It has. She puts it on the plate. She says this is something her family do. And oh. I will, this will never leave me until the day I die. And then puts the whole plate under the grill yeah. and melts it and then just eats it straight off the plate. Not using bread or anything. It's sort of just, yeah, Welsh fondue, I think. Is. And you've had some great guests, because uh, Taron Egerton was on as well last yes. year, wasn't he? And he says, basically, you know, again, not dissimilar to Charlotte, or myself, you know, to be honest, working class kid, council estate and all that kind of stuff. Um, anything that was uh, had zero nutrition, basically. Yeah. Was what, was yeah, what he was absolutely about. loves it. But it's amazing watching, like having people like Taron in, who is like ripped as well, yeah. talking about the food he wants to eat, yeah. if he wasn't an actor. And it's just all, it's all, Pretty well, full you've been around film stuff. sets. You know about all this stuff. I've hung around film sets. Yeah. And, you know, the thing about movies is you can't smell them. You can watch them. You can hear them. You can experience them. You know, you can immerse yourself in them, but you can't smell them. And when you go to a film set, all you can smell is the catering all the time. And often people in the lead role, the last thing they want to do is eat at the moment. Yeah. You know, that's a vital, not a different conversation. But, you know, all you do when you go to films is you just get hungry all the time. It's a bit similar on certain television shows. Well, not Great British Menu, I tell you. I'm, <laughs> I'm not op- hungry. As soon as I get the in opposite. there, I'm not hungry anymore. <laughs> if you smell beef cooking at 8am, which yeah. is what we frequently have to do, you're like, oh, maybe I fancy a bit of beef. And then an hour in, you're like, I never want to eat again. Isn't that like at the Bicky Factory? Do you remember the uh, McVitie's Bicky Factory? So you used to get a job at the Bicky factory. People think, yeah, I could sneak a few Bickies home. Apparently you could take... No, it was Mars, wasn't it? Mars. Yeah. When you get a job at Mars, they say you can take as much chocolate as you want home for the first week. And that just about sorts you out and you never want to see chocolate again. It stops all theft. Yeah, I don't think I could do that. Also, I'm type 1 diabetic. I don't think I could no, step, step foot in the Mars factory. I know you can't and don't want to give too much away. And we have all watched the first episode, still waiting for you to pop up and it like some kind of weird episode of Columbo um, <laughs> looking for the killer. But, but um, I mean, some highlights that you can just sort of tease us with from this series. Well, th- so this series is, is themed, because it's always themed yeah. uh, towards a big banquet at the end, and it's themed on animation and illustration, right. uh, British animation and illustration to celebrate Paddington's uh, 65th, 65th b- yeah. birthday. Yeah. So we've got some amazing themed dishes coming up uh you know obviously there's paddock some paddington stuff to come marmalade stuff. a lot of marmalade stuff a lot of uh sort of dc thompson stuff so a lot of dandy and beano stuff as nice. well and it's re- it's really exciting when the dishes first come in you get a proper little buzz so yeah keep an eye out for all of those and who've you got booked for your podcast this year 
Oh, who've, well, we've just started the new series. So we've just last week we had uh, Paul Maskell. Yeah, uh, it was yeah, the first episode dropped, of the series. It, yeah, yeah. Uh, and we've got we've got a lot of exciting guests. So I'm not sure. I'm last time I spoke to you, we just had Dan Aykroyd on the podcast. I know I you were great guest last year, Lenny yeah. Henry and all yeah. these other amazing people. Pretty good. Tara's like a Tara is like huge star. Charlotte's always a laugh. It's cool, man. Um, <laughs> all right, Ed, lovely to see you, man. <laughs> lovely to see you. Thanks for coming. I know you're late, and you know it's not your fault, and you didn't get as much time as you you wanted, but. Um, the Great British Menu Series 18 starts tonight, 8pm BBC 2, and Ed and his mates, including our very own friend, special friend Tom, uh, having all the fun. Yeah? Yeah, it's, oh. it's a brilliant series. All right, you're the best. Cheers, man. Thanks. Goodbye. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Cinch. Virgin Radio. On this show, we want the finest guests available to humanity. We want them here and we want them now. His audiobook, With Nails, the film diaries of Richard E. Grant, is out now. So please welcome, free to those who can afford him, very expensive to those who can't, it's Richard E. Grant. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, Reg. Good morning, my why, darlings. Why might I be calling you Reg, Richard? Uh, well, I've worked with Julie Waters in the last century and because of my initials, she called me Reg and has never stopped calling me Reg ever since. So call me what you like. All right. Nora Steve Martin, who uh, writes the intro to the book. Uh, this is, of course, With Nails, Richard's Film Diaries. It's been out in print before, but this is the audio version. I am eight hours into nine hours. I had to pretend that I wasn't listening to things. I wore a beanie yesterday and my bone phones while my family were talking to me over tea and things like that. But I was listening to you and your dulcet tones. It's awesome, Richard. Thank you. Your career, and I think all great careers, even Spielberg's career, you know, the reason that we all love this business so much is because they continue to pinch, be pinch-me moments yeah. all the time, you know. And, and now and again, we forget that. I forgot it for, for a, a lot more than I should ever have done. But, you know, when you're back in love with what you do, what your book reminded me of was to be freaking grateful more and more and more every day your story of bagging the part of Whitdale and I was so so such a kick up the ass for me even yesterday I was thinking God, yeah because yeah, I forgot what it's like because you one day you went to Bruce Robinson's flat and you didn't have the part and then that day that he gave it to you you went home and you did have the part and everybody else around you and the world around you seems just as it was before but yeah. something huge has changed and it's <laughs> your secret yeah yeah, it's it's true that it, it literally turns on a dime. And I know that, you know, it's sliding doors moment that if Daniel Day-Lewis hadn't turned down that part yeah. and, you know, all that stuff, I would not be sitting here 40, you know, years later. Or if anything else hadn't happened that did. Because everything's yeah. a sliding doors moment, yeah. isn't it? Right, Scorsese. Scorsese. Tell us about Marty. Uh, well, I went from... <laughs> Dracula, which, you know, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, and he worked in a kind of circus atmosphere if he wants... The bigger, the better. Yeah, the bigger, the better. The more people in the tent, the more animals, music, uh, food, everything going. You bring your relatives and your friends and anything to make a scene work. Scorsese was the exact opposite that, of that on Age of Innocence. It was monastically quiet and very, very controlled, and he speaks at bullet speed. So... It was it was very very sort of reverential, and I, I couldn't I couldn't connect this guy who directed all these incredibly violent movies, um, Mean Streets and Casino and you know uh, everything else in between, with this very very cultured man who you know wore suit and tie to work every day and was very obsessed with the place settings and the ballroom gowns of this turn of the century upper class New York milieu that we were all in, and then one day. 
somebody who's speaking too loud and he just absolutely lost him. <laughs> like that. And every expletive came out of him like a sort of rumpled still skin. I thought, whoa, okay, I understand. He's a human machine gun verbally. Yeah. How are you now? How am I now? Yeah. Well, I'm about to turn 66 years old and I'm in, you know, I just, I failed on my math at school. My daughter said to me the other day, you know, I think that you've probably got it wrong because she said, you carry on as though you're about 19. I said, well, that old. So, you know, it's just that weird thing that, you know, life, you know there's far less ahead than, you know, what I've, what I've lived through already. Um, it's, it's, it's brilliant as a study on the business. You know, it doesn't take itself seriously ever. Although, you know, there is one particular um, uh, chapter that broke me. Oh, well, uh, I know what you're talking about. My just in the in the first week of at the end of the first week of rehearsals for uh, with Nell and I, my wife went into premature labor and our daughter was born at 27 weeks and only lived for half an hour so it was you know ex just exactly what John Lennon said before he was assassinated that um, life is what happens in between making your plans so at the moment of great uh, euphoria of getting this first lead role in a movie which I'd never been in before we then lost our child so it's you know it's just the way that it goes yeah the way that it goes, where would you, where might you want it to go between now and um, the next, the end of the next decade? Uh, well, my wife died fifteen months ago, and she said to me, four days before she died, try and find a pocket full of happiness in each day. And it's been a great mantra to navigate the abyss of grief that you know my daughter and I have gone through. And I suppose that's that's what you know keeps me going of you know trying to find something as positive as possible and In you know I've, I've had yeah a huge amount of work since then which which keeps me buoyed up and busy but the it, it's like having a parallel life that my one life ended on the 21st on the 2nd of September 2021 when she died and so everything that I'm living now feels almost like borrowed time after that but, you know, you just have to get on with it. And we get so much love about A Pocket Full of Happiness, the audio version particularly. Is this is this audio version, the new audio version of a book that's been out a lot longer, yeah. is it because of the success of that? Is it buoyed by that? Is it is it a, is it a sort of, is it a companion piece? Uh, yes, because when, when With Nails, the film diaries came out in 1996, uh, you couldn't, you couldn't, you had to do an abridged version. Yeah, I remember. Because at that time, you know, they, they came out on cassette tapes yeah. or CDs. <laughs> yeah. Them old days, wax last century. cylinders. Exactly, wax cylinders. <laughs> so uh, the, they now found that, we now know that you can, you can have an entire unabridged book on yeah, audio. So yeah. that's why it was, they asked me to re-record the whole thing. Well, goodness me, time well spent, my friend. Time well spent. Thank you, Mr. Mr. E. And you're, I, I thought he's got to tour this. He's got to tour this. There's all this brilliant mimicry. <laughs> and he's, you are touring it. Thank God. I'm touring the pocketfuls of happiness, yeah. Okay. Um, with Nails, the film diaries of Richard E. Grant, available from wherever you get your audio books. And uh, you can go to tickets for Richard. I'm just going to say Richard Live. Uh, it's <laughs> fame.co.uk slash Richard hyphen E hyphen Grant. Trips off the tongue, that one. Um, you, should, you should do. You should do a worldwide one-man show. I mean, you should do what you want. It's what you should do. But. All right. Thank um, you. It's absolutely awesome. Anything you'd like to say to people listening today? Uh, well, you know, 
the weather's good. <laughs> Everything's on strike. Enjoy your feet up on the sofa and listen to Chris. <laughs> uh, Rich, thanks so much uh, for being here and for all the wonderful stuff you've done. It's a pleasure to know you, my friend. Thank you very much. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Cinch. Virgin Radio. All right, hotting up in the studio. Off the back burner, onto the main hob. Who might it be, Vasis Alexander? She's a legend in the kitchen and on the telly. And now the newly enabled dame will slay the game in a theatre near you. Her Nothing In Moderation Tour begins in Shrewsbury tomorrow and it's bound to be brilliant because the sun shines on Prue Leith. Yes, good morning, Prue. How are you? Hi, Chris. I'm absolutely fine. Oh, man, it's so good to see me. Uh, nothing in moderation starts tomorrow for tickets, ticketmaster.co.uk. Look at this tour. You're like blimmin' ACDC. Uh, Shrewsbury, Salford, Newcastle, Edinburgh, Glasgow, Northampton. This is all in February. Poole, Guildford, Reading. And these are back-to-back dates. Swindon, Portsmouth, Cardiff, uh, Bath, <laughs> Southend, Bexhill and Sea, Brighton, Sheffield. Have they told you about all these dates, Prue? Yeah, no, I do know about them. Oh, uh, I'm a little bit nervous. Uh, it's scary. Gonna, but it's going to be fun. That's it's just fun. February, then March, Nottingham, York, Exeter, Truro, Yeovil, Belfast, Dublin, Birmingham, Cheltenham, Chester, Leicester, Norwich, Oxford, <laughs> Basingstoke, Cambridge, Ipswich and London. Uh, and it goes on. Now, you've never done a tour like this before, but you have done live shows. You did one for us at Carfest. Yeah, I did, amazing. I did, I did. I keep missing Carfest because you, I don't know, I, just August, it's the most busy month Yeah, for but me, you so. pitched up for us once, and for that, we will be forever grateful. Uh, and you had a gammy leg at the time. I did, I did. And we had a lovely time, too. Yeah, you were brilliant. They loved you. So what form is this show going to take? Because it well, starts tomorrow, so you must know. Yeah, no, I do know. I've had a couple of um, tryouts. We did tryouts in Bath and then in um, Leamington Spa and then in New York and in Los Angeles. I'm, in the autumn, I'm going to do all this all over America as well. I mean, I am nuts. <laughs> the There's best. no question. You're the best. Uh, no, I'm mad. Anyway, uh, so I do know what I'm doing. And it's, it's really just like a, a chat, you know. I just talk about my life. And as most people think that what I do is eat cake for a living... <laughs> which of course I do <laughs> but I do do a lot of other things and I've had a very interesting life and a wonderful one and so I chatter away born in South Africa and then restaurant business the catering world lots of disaster stories about catering which people love and lots of stories about trying to feed the royals you know it's my belief that a royal mem- member of the royal family walks into any catering operation and everything goes pear-shaped so there's a lot of that and then a bit about you know adopting my cambodian daughter and about winning businesswoman of the year and you know all so sorts much. of stuff all sorts how of stuff how did you decide which to cherry pick from which stories or which episodes well at of first your life? i put in when i first wrote the script i had quite a lot of about things that i really care passionately about like i campaign for uh, dignity in dying you know i actually think we ought to be able to top ourselves when we've had enough of this good life um and so I talk about that or I talk about at the time that I once poisoned a whole lot of people in my catering company which was really dreadful but it's quite a lesson in what not to do and um, but that those sort of negative stories really bring the audience down you know they start to think oh this is very serious and and so my husband and the promoter said look can you stick to the to the funny stuff because, stick with the funny because that and you know, and then of course, if the audience loves it, 
everybody says this, but I had never realised it, that if you've got an audience who absolutely love you, and of course they wouldn't have bought tickets if mm. they didn't already quite like me. They don't buy tickets to somebody that they don't like. Um, their, their energy sort of feeds you. I mean, you must know this. And you suddenly really enjoy it because they're enjoying it and you feed off each other. So they're, they're on your side, aren't they? I mean, they have this sunken investment. They want to have a good time. They've, they've partied with hard cash. They've organised childcare or whatever they've done. That's right. And they need, and they need something, a sort of evening which isn't stressful and isn't um, uh, miserable, you know, which just makes them happy yeah. and they laugh a lot and they, it's friendly and warm. Yeah. So I think we provide that. And, um, but I also think... Which I had not realised before is when the audience really loves you, and in you know what American audiences are like. I mean, they're right over the top. And when I walked onto the stage in LA, they were hollering and whooping in a way that nobody does in England, and and sort of stamping their feet and standing up. And, and I thought I'm in danger of getting a a standing ovation before I've opened my mouth. Yeah. And then I thought, how can I live up to this? I'll never be able to, you know. But of course, I was so lifted by their um, affection or adulation that I so enjoyed myself that I was flying. I thought this is the best thing I've ever done. And I sort of began to understand why all those old comedians go on doing it way past their sell-by date because they're just hoping for one more feeling. It's like the best drug in the world. Well, that's that's why, you know, obviously people come up against various issues off stage. Yeah. And when they, they get this high on stage, they just want to get it back again and they can't, you know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I'm hoping for a bit of that. <laughs> but I mean, at that night <laughs> in Los Angeles, afterwards we went to a Chinese um, restaurant for supper. Yeah. And I had been so high, I thought I could just go on all night. And round about... Before the f f food had arrived, I was asleep. Crushed. I just fell asleep yeah. at the table. That's live performing for you. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? <laughs> anyway. What so, time are you going to gonna perform? Are you gonna, is it going to be half seven-ish? Yes, half seven-ish. Okay. Um, occasionally eight o'clock. It depends on the theatre, they, whatever they want. And um, will there be an interval? And there'll be an interval. What it is, it's a 45 minutes of chat. Yep. And then an interval. And they, um, the audience are asked to... For questions, what questions they'd like, and then afterwards, I sort of curate the questions because if you just take them in the audience, you have that awful business of somebody galloping around trying to find the the member with a with a mic. And nice idea. Yeah, and then they don't like they don't know how to use the mic, yeah. and it's, it's all a performance. So we we ask them for questions. Somebody reads the questions to me, and so I'd group them. A lot of them are about um, Bake Off, and so I start with Bake Off. And I, sure as sure, as eggs as eggs, the first question will be, what colour are Paul Hollywood's <laughs> eyes, really? <laughs> are they that blue? And um, or, or is the tan fake? <laughs> so I, and I won't tell you the answer, but I, I do tell it on, on stage. And then, um, so I group the, those questions together. And then there are, there are a lot of questions about being a woman in a man's world, all that stuff, you know, glass ceiling stuff. And then some much more serious questions. We often get people asking about education or art or any of the other things I've had a hand in. Prue, listen, good luck 
we all need luck, don't we? You know, we all do. Need a bit oh, of good fortune. Absolutely. And Chris, I would not have had such a great career and such a wonderful time if I wasn't the luckiest woman on earth. Oh, what a lovely thing to say. Um, Nothing in moderation starts tomorrow, you lucky duckies, in Shrewsbury at the Theatre 7 and the Lowry after that in Salford. And as I say, literally all over the UK, you can get to go and see Dame Prueleaf if you want to between now and the 6th of April. Have a great one. Um, uh, let us know if you know before we do about the next bond, yeah. as it were, and uh, hopefully see you at Carfest. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Prue. That's awesome. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Cinch. Virgin Radio. All right, we've already heard from a top hat of tip-top guests, but still to come, the awesome Adam Hills turning the pages of his latest children's book, Rockstar Detective Murder at the Movies. Legendary chef Gennaro Contaldo flips through his brilliant new cookbook. Hearty money-saving meals from an Italian kitchen, Cucina is the title. And the Queen of Clean, Mrs Hinch, spills the beans on her first ever picture book, Welcome to Hinch Farm. So let's get right back to it. Vasos, who's next? He'll stop you turning the channel on the last leg and make you turn the pages of his latest book. Rockstar Detectives Murder at the Movies is out now and it's full of thrills and spills. So proving once again that Hills pays the bills. It's the multi-talented Adam Hill. <laughs> oh my goodness uh, me. I love that. I thought we were never going to get there. How are you, Adam? I'm well. You are. <laughs> Uh, the last leg back on telly tonight. It is back on telly tonight. Twenty-seven yep. series in and still going. Uh-huh. Oh, uh huh. Who have we got tonight? David Tennant, Michelle Deswart, Weird Al Yankovic is on the show tonight. Do you know he, one of those moments in life where you go, I can't believe I get to talk to this person? So, you know that, um, oh, what's his name? Rick Rubin's got this amazing book out at the moment that everybody's talking about. Do you know about this? No, no, no. He's got this creative manual out. Rick Rubin, founder of Def Jam. Yeah. Um, uh, with, uh, with um, oh, I can't remember the guy's name. Um, but uh, he, when he was cutting his teeth in record production, yeah. he used to produce comedy albums. And he produced... Al Yankovic's right because he was famous for parodying, wasn't he? And all this kind yeah, of stuff. yeah, yeah. So what's he doing now? How is why well? Is he's, he, he's got he a back? tour, but he's, you know he's put out a biopic last year. I did with hear Daniel about that. Radcliffe playing Weird Al. And is it was it good? It's amazing. Is it honestly? It kind of starts with the Weird Al story, and then it goes off into this complete fantasy world. But it's one of the funniest movies I've watched in ages. And well, Daniel Radcliffe is amazing. He's great. I love Daniel Radcliffe. Anyone that can play Harry Potter and Weird Al Yankovic convincingly. Yeah, and also he's gone really off piste, hasn't he? Harry, Harry yes. Potter. <laughs> that, that's oh, Harry why. Potter did. By the way, it hasn't worked, Daniel. But keep keep trying, pal. Harry Potter, the off-taste years. <laughs> yeah, Harry Potter is still pretending to be Daniel Radcliffe. Can yeah. you believe it? <laughs> Somebody needs to tell him, not me. Um, no, but 27 series in. Your show, I'm so pleased for you. I, oh, I'm always pleased for you because I, I know how hard it is to, to not run out of road with those shows. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, we've talked about this before. Yeah. We, we were in the same studio that, that TFI Friday was in yeah, for a yeah, while yeah. there. So, yeah, that Friday night experience. You seem to wear it so lightly, you know, and the burden of, and by the way, it's a burden we all welcome, and it's a, a lot better burden than most people have to deal with most mornings and weeks and generally in life, you know, but you seem to wear it very lightly, the, the sort of weight of having to come up with a hit TV show every week. It's uh, you don't yeah, seem to have, do anxiety at all. Oh, I do. I just hide it. Um, you hide it very well. I hide it very well. It's it's a mess. I mean, thankfully the news the news at the moment is giving us so much to play with. It's you just of, cut and paste and read. <laughs> do you know what? I almost feel like I said to an interviewer last week. Okay, I'm going to open up. I'm going to admit it. We placed a comedy writer into Downing Street about three years ago, yep. and they've been writing the scripts ever since. Yeah, because it kind of feels like that. If if 
if we actually said, yeah, 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 we, we ran out of ideas, so we put a comedy writer in number 10, you'd, you'd kind of go, I mean, no one was going to buy the whole Matt Hancock in the jungle thing, but we got away with it. I know, and the whole uh, driving to Specsavers or whatever it was. But Phil Rosenthal, who, who came up, cr- created um, Everybody Loves Raymond, was on the show last week. All right, yeah. Because he does this show on Netflix, which I'm in love with, called Somebody Feed Phil. It's Have you seen it? No, I haven't. It's, I'm aware of it, but I haven't. Okay. Awesome. It's right. so good. Okay. And he used to write jokes for Bill Clinton when he was president and he said before there was comedy all the time yeah (laughs) when they just chose to be funny now and again when they thought it might be useful but now they can't out funny themselves can they i mean it's cyclical where does it go from here i don't know i think it goes it goes if you go through the prime ministers certainly british prime ministers it goes exciting boring exciting boring exciting boring and you look at now we've got kind of boring rishi sunak before that it was kind of like crazy boris johnson And then before that, it was kind of, what was it, Theresa May. Yeah. And then before that, it was not quite exciting, but still out there, David Cameron. So it kind of feels like it's cycles of you, madness. You've, you've and then... missed out Liz Trust yeah. because we all forgot. Oh, God. <laughs> I know. By the way, I was with somebody who's un- so famous. Hmm. There's only three people in the world more famous than this person that I could say. I right. mean, you know, honestly, three, maybe two. You, yeah. could, you could say nine, but then you'd be lying. Okay. Like, this person is one of the top ten most famous people in in the world, and she had forgotten <laughs> Liz Truss's name. And if I told you who she was, you would find that. Can't un- no, no. close the mics. And you, can't, you can't tell us. I could tell you off the air. Okay. Oh my goodness. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. Exactly. She said what? She said to me, "What was her name again?" <laughs> I was like, whoa, where do we go with this one? I'm never going to say that out loud to anybody else. Wow. Anyway, you're not here for any of that, are you, you scallywag? <laughs> no. He's, ped- he's peddling his... There's a sign outside, no hawking, it says. I'm so sorry. Stop it. I've taken us so far off well, track. I don't know how you got in. He gets where dust wouldn't. Anyway, um, Adam Hill's Rockstar Detectives, Murder at the Movies, is out. It's the second book for Charlie and... Charlie and George. Charlie and George. So George is a successful young rock star. Well, no, Charlie's the successful young sorry. rock star. And then who's the Instagram sensation? Uh, that's Charlie. Charlie Parker. I apologise. Yeah. Um, and George Carling uh, is her best mate who kind of films her off for Instagram and everything like that, right. but wants to be a comedian. Now, I did read the first book, I promise you know, because you came No, in. I remember. I yeah, haven't yeah. read this one, as you can read <laughs> <laughs> So how do you want to frame it? No spoilers, please, Adam. Mm-hmm. So uh, the book is, so the first book was Charlie and George on their first ever tour, accused of a string of international mm. art crimes. Um, um, and they had to find who was actually stealing the art. So this time, <laughs> I kind of confused myself. This time, the premise is they're making a movie about everything that happened in the first book. Right. And whilst on set, there are a lot of accidents that put Charlie in danger. And gradually, they start to realise someone's trying to kill Charlie. And the reason for that is, after the first book, my daughter, who's now 12, said, yeah, I really enjoyed it, Daddy, but can someone die in the next one? <laughs> like, she was, like, she was like it's Adam. good. I, I liked like your little mystery. Yeah, there's art crime, but come on, you yeah, can yeah. do better than art crime. <laughs> Stealing pictures. How about murder? See, this is why I think they're going to have an issue with the crowd not singing Delilah tomorrow at the Wales game. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the crowd right. will still of course, sing Delilah. Of course they will. Of course they will. Yeah. Yeah. They will. <laughs> Adam Hills, Rockstar Detectives. Uh, this is book number two for the kids, Murder at the Movies. It's great because Mary says so and Mary knows her onions. Thank you, Mary. Um, Adam, you're on this morning, this morning. I am on this morning, this morning, and then the last leg tonight. Yeah, give them all up. Uh, 10 o'clock the last leg tonight? Uh, 10 o'clock the last leg tonight, yes. Right, series 27. Such a joy hanging out with you. Wow. No, always, always, mate. It's great to have you here. You're a Lovely. Great, lovely vibe. Thank you so much. 
The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Cinch. Virgin Radio. If your place is clean and tidy, you've doubtless got our next guest to thank. And now, if you're moving to a new place, she's got you covered too. Her first kid's book, Welcome to Hinch Farm, is out now. So we've cinched it, and now we hinch it with (laughs) Mrs Hinch. Hello, Mrs Hinch. hello. How are we? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good. You look so well. Is it farm life that's doing doing all this? Farm life and a lot of chocolate, I think, Chris, if I'm honest. Congratulations on the newbie. Thank you, um, because, thank you so much. Uh, he wasn't part of the scenario last time you were in here, so that's great. So yes. three-year-old and a one-year-old, and you're saying, that's it, I am done. Maybe in a few years, but <laughs> right now I'm thinking, I need sleep. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about anyone else, but my toddlers don't sleep. Um, so any advice, any magic potions, well, please let me know. <laughs> Farmer Hinch is behind because you brought the hubby in today I for did. the first time. I and did. he's in the old... Oh, stop. Seriously? Chris, he's obsessed with you. He's is he? Obs- he, on, he is loves he you so much. Can, he, well, can you keep him behind that? <laughs> I think I think he wants you, but he was saying he was like, oh well, I might get a chance to say hello. I was like, I promise, I'll try oh, my best. I doubt it. I doubt it. <laughs> no, it's great to have you. So, Thank so you. you are now living on a farm. Yes, yes, I have. Um, we have moved house. Um, we live. In a ha- I don't know, you know, is it a farmhouse? It's a house that has some land that was built in the 60s. Yep. And I'm calling it my farmhouse. I think yeah. everyone can call it what, their own house, what they want, can't farm. they? Uh, how's your um, acreage? I don't even know. <laughs> so how, how big is, are we talking? What's the, what's the small holding, size-wise? Absolutely no idea. What do we think? What? Farm hinge. No idea. An oh, nice. So it's a small hole. That's cool. Is it 1.5, maybe, I think, like for the for the alpacas to yeah. sort of roam. No, and hang on a minute. Can you just put a pin in the alpaca chat because you're going to get her too excited. Do you want to plug your it. book? You've got to get that in first because once oh, you get into alpacas no. in this oh, one. Yes, the book. There's no, yeah, the book. That's why you're here. You're here to promote the book. Oh, I'm here okay. for you, Chris. Missy, well, you're very welcome. Mrs. Hinch, welcome to Hinge Farm. All right. So tell us about the decision about moving to a farmhouse, first of all. So I love, I love animals, yep. first of all. Um, and a little bit about the house that we're in now. If I'm honest, I never actually like felt like we were ever going to move. Like it was never in our plans. I was I literally put an extension on our house, and we and your house was was famous in its own way. It was literally my my treasure. Like I loved it, absolutely in love with it. Um, And this house, however, I've been driving past with my parents since I was around 11, 11, 12, and we always used to look at it and say, "Oh, you know, we wonder who lives in that." We used to be a little bit nosy, you know, because it was just such a not huge, not you know, just just a, a, a beautiful farm-looking home. Like from a film. Like from a like film. Like a movie, like from a one movie of those you films. want to be in. Yes, yeah. and then um, when Jamie and I moved to Morden in our fir- in, into our first ever home, um, we we actually used to research into that house. We may sound like stalkers here, actually, thinking of it. <laughs> uh, but we used to research into that house before we was even looking to move, just to see a bit about it and the yeah. history of it. So we knew already when it came up for sale who lived there, what his job was, um, the literally the history of the home, like everything, when it was built, how long it hadn't been up for sale. And so when it came up for sale and the estate agent phoned us, we were like, no, please, is it the one? Like, it's not that one. <laughs> And they said, yeah. I was like, we need to view this. Please, please, please. Can you get us in? And they said, we've got so many viewings tomorrow. Oh, but if no. you get there for eight, it should be all right. And we did. It's funny, isn't it? It's you, my dream, I think honestly, it's, Chris. I think it's all right to stalk a house. 
Yeah. Oh, that's okay. When you start, is it? Yeah, is it though? When I you mean... moved on to the bloke and what he does for it, that got a bit worrying. But it's fine to stalk a house. And we've all done it, I suppose. Did you keep an eye on right move to see if it was ever coming up for sale, or did you make the estate agent aware would. that you would be interested in it? Did they know of your interest in this house? No, they knew that we had an interest, the estate agent, obviously, in looking at other properties right. because I was looking to, to get animals. We really did want animals. Right. Um, and we was needing to move somewhere a little bit, a little bit more private. Um, and we sort of put our name down to say if anything comes up within this area because right. I wanted to stay close to my parents, just let us know. Never in a million years did we think this house would ever come up for sale because it had been so long. So when we did, I sort of started to shake. I was like, no, this this actually cannot be happening. Um, and Jamie and I went to view it and just fell in love. And from there, I was like, this home, we could have our alpacas. We could have some hens. We could actually, the boys can have this fresh air of, of, of being so fortunate to be able to be outside and getting dirty and just yeah, getting yeah, stuck best, in. It's the best. And I'm loving it. I'm loving clearing up all the alpaca poo and all that stuff. It's actually my my daily therapy. Like, I've found it's... I'm loving it. Well, when I, I, used, to, I used to live, have a farm. I used to live on a farm. And what I found... But the, the first thing that was most surprising to me was how naturally I was getting exercise all the time. Yes. You know, and I, that's what I was doing. I was getting exercise all the time. And they, they talk about the NHS now and the fact that it's overrun because when the NHS was invented just after the war as a present to everybody to make themselves feel better because they thought... We all thought we've won the war, but we don't feel any different. So they, they create, that's why they created the NHS, as far as I'm aware. And it was able to sustain people that were, weren't very well because we were much fitter then because we... We were we were more slight because we didn't overeat. Uh, the food we did eat, we usually cooked ourselves, so it's less processed. And we used to move around more in our daily work. There were more manual workers. There weren't remote control things for the TV. You couldn't shop online. Now life is against us. Mm. So if you get into a situation where you need to look after something and you need to be outside every day, it's great. And so the first thing I realised was that. And the second thing I realised was I could go to the pub at half past five and sort of have as many pints as I wanted and that'd be all right, you know. <laughs> I wish I drunk. I do sometimes wish I wish I had a few drinks but because but I, your, I your I version of that is chocolate, isn't it? Yeah, so, I, love a, I love a hot chocolate, Chris. And since Christmas, yeah. I wasn't sure if I meant to put the hot chocolate machine away now, if that's what you're supposed to do. But mine's just still out on the side and it's too easy to use at the minute. But um, but it's okay because you, you're more you're more physical than you were. You're more active than you were. I'm just enjoying it. Yeah, I'm really enjoying being outside and being with the boys. Yes, and, and feeling the seasons change. It, it, that is the best. And in the morning, do you know when it's just crisp when you wake up? And even when it's freezing, you get excited to wrap up warm. And even just to put the boys' wellies on and run outside, I just feel like, I don't know, it, it literally felt like a storybook. And that's where my book actually came from. Like My followers messaged me and they said, Soph, this could be like a bit of a storybook. You should do something like that. And I th a few messages came in and I thought, oh, no, like, you know, that, that like an impossible type thing. And then it came, it was more and more and more. And then obviously Puffin got in touch and said this would be incredible for the adventures of Hinch Farm and how it's happened and change for children. That's what the main book centred about, change for families and for children in their lives. And Moving House, I think I underestimated the change that it has or could have on, on young kids, you know, at home they've known all their life. Yeah, yeah. And then everything changes. Yeah. Your whole routine from where you put your shoes to how you put them to bed. And I was just more nervous about that than anything. So if we're out of time, we're literally, out, we're well oh, over no, time. No, 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 We've been awesome. Mrs Hinch, welcome to Hinch Farm. Her first kids, but the adventures of Ron, Len and Hen, based on the real life adventures of the Hinch family, is out now. It's directed by Hannah George.
don't leave it so long next time. Oh, I've, do you know, I've said to Jamie, I'd absolutely love to do this more. If, and if you'd have me, Chris, I'd come don't. even just for a chat. Once a month, whenever you like. I don't mind. Jamie, whatever you say, pal. And uh, can we hang out one day? Yeah. <laughs> can we fire? Let's fire pit of yours. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll bring the Airstream He'd around. We'll that. park it up. We'll fire stream. We'll talk leaf blowers. He yeah. won't let you forget this, Chris. Oh, Trust don't, me. Don't, don't, oh, don't. I'd come back whenever. I'd love to. Love right. to. Thank well, you we're, for we're so, We've never been more over time, but it's never been more worth it. Thank you very much, Nina. Have a great weekend. Thank you, everybody. Thank Goodbye. You. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Cinch. Virgin Radio. He's the Italian chef. Italian chefs use as the Italian ref. Here's latest cookbook, Gennaro's Cucina. Hearty money-saving meals from an Italian kitchen is out today. And trust us, the kitchen to him is the football pitch to oh, Ronaldo. He's Gennaro Contaldo. Hi, Gennaro. Hi, my God. Welcome, mate. Listen, what have you brought in for us today from your book? Yes, it's stuffed paper. You know, it, it's, it's used whatever you have inside the house. Yes. So that is stale breadcrumbs, which I had, or bread, which you suck a little bit of water, scratch an egg inside a little onion, inside a lot of a parmesan, stuff everything in a paper, put them in the oven for half an hour. My goodness oh, me, you're going to love now, it. Now, this is the moment. Are you ready? Okay. I mean, come on. Oh. Russell, I'm so sorry it's got mutants so you can't have any. <laughs> no, not as sorry as I am. It means there might be some left over for other people. <laughs> no, this is... I didn't put any meat inside oh, here. Don't, don't back in the don't game. Don't tell him that. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. no, that's it. <laughs> can, you, can you eat it like, a, like an ice cream? Yes, ice oh. cream. So in the book, in the book there's meat in Yes, it. but I... You can remove... This is uh, the oh. simplicity of a Cucina book because you can swap and around. But because I knew I was making... Coming here today, I said, oh, there is a lot of vegetarian, there is no meat eating. So, do you know what? Let's keep it. It still tastes fantastic. Oh, it does, yeah, it does taste gorgeous. So good. So, Vassas, mm-hmm. you're back in the game. Yeah, so back in the game. Back in the game. Mm. Not messing about. <laughs> do you know I, I love to see you all eating. And <laughs> just need a glass of wine, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Next what, what, time. What would you have with this? What, what kind of wine would you have with this? Well, you can have any kind of wine. What would you have? Well, I will have a nice little red wine. Would you? Yes, nice okay. red. Room temperature here is perfect. Perfect <laughs> temperature. Next time, tell me also I will bring you the wine. Okay, see you tomorrow. Perfect. Uh, right, Gennaro, uh, Cucina is the book. Proper old school classics to use up every scrap, says Jamie Oliver on the front cover, because he's a very, very good friend of yours. Bless when, him. When was the first time you met Jamie? Well, I met Jamie when he was extremely young. <laughs> extremely oh, all together, perhaps now is... We... We talk every day. Do you I, actually? Yeah, probably uh, wow. about uh, 25, 30 years, uh, something w- like where that. Where and how did you meet him? Well, it was easy because then I was the chef on Antonio Carlucci at the New Street restaurant and he just come out from a college. Don't forget, Jamie's very talented and also he used to cook since he was a little child because his mother and father had a restaurant, yeah. a pub. So mm-hmm. one way or the other, he was there. When I say people, I was in the kitchen when I was 10 years old. Yes, I, but Jamie was before me inside right. the kitchen. So he came one day to look for a job inside uh, the New Street restaurant. And I was there very early in the morning and... Uh, I said, okay, I didn't know if he was old enough to have a job or not. I thought it was somebody on the school experience. Yeah, <laughs> so, really? <laughs> so, I, so I gave him a jacket and he said, oh, I got mine. And uh, 
he started to work. But his long story behind that is too long because the beginning is because he was in a college at Victoria and one his friend, uh, as you know, the, the, the chef asked, what kind of cuisine you want to do? Everybody want to do French, I want to do this, I want to do that. He said, no, I want to do it Italian. And his friend, uh, Marco, said, uh, Look, if you want to learn how to make good pastas, good sauce, one is my father, which he don't do it now, he retired, but if you go down to New Street restaurant at Tony Carluccio, there is a chef called Gennaro. Have a look, maybe it can help you. Oh, wow. But he was already talented. He knew what he was doing. How come, do you think? Well, he, he had a very good mother and father being inside at a pub one way or the other, you know, since he was a little so child. he knew stuff, basically. He things. knew stuff. But I give him just a little help yeah, of course. at the Italian food, yeah, yeah. the Italian cuisine. But the rest is talent. Do you know what? Where before you used to learn from me, now I'm learning from him. It's so cool, man. So I know, I know he loves you. He absolutely adores oh, you. Bless he worships him. you. Um, oh, by the way, he yes. said, as soon as you go, you say hello to everyone from me. Give him a big love. <laughs> and this is what I do. All right. Listen, this book is amazing. I, you can literally eat the pages. I've not yes. tried, but you, you would be tempted to. We, we are all in love with... Um, the Neapolitan mashed potato cake. Just, just where does it obviously? Gatto di patate. Yeah, it's amazing, man. <laughs> so tell us about this. Where does it come from? Where did you discover it? It's it's, an, it's kind of a classic. So you got a lot of potato. Yeah. So I love potato. It's my favorite. I thing. love a potato. So, anyway. so what do you do? You mix with eggs with lots. You got some cheese left. Yep. Parmesan can be pecorino, can be anything. You mix, crack some eggs inside, bit of bread crumbs as well. Yep. Put anything in the tins. Also, you have some kind of a prosciutto, you have a salami, bits and pieces, whatever you have. You mix all together, put, put them inside the uh, cake tins, which you spread some bread crumb underneath, press them on top. Again, put bread, bread breadcrumb on top, bang them in the oven, and let it cook for about half an hour or 45 minutes, depends. And that will cast a few days. You having a picnic, cut on a slice, eating. Oh, my Hallelujah. God. <laughs> <laughs> great to see you, man. It's Thank you very much, long. Uh, You're an amazing human being. You run a great ship. And he's on the telly this Saturday on Saturday Kitchen. BBC One, Gennaro's Kachina. Uh, thank you, Gennaro. Bless you. Thank you very You're much. You're the best ever. We don't have, have, have time to talk about your car. Yes, we're going to talk about the car. <laughs> he was given a, a Jaguar E-Type, a 1966 E-Type, 15 years ago, and you, you've never driven it, or never driven it. Maybe all together. No, but I did. I kept. Uh, uh, who gave it to you? Uh, who can give it to me? That car. Uh, Jamie, did Jamie give you a car? Jamie gave me that car. Oh, bless him. Oh, that's so lovely. Was it for a significant birthday? Yes, it was. Wow. It was my 16th birthday. He came out with his car right outside of the office. He gave me the key, and I thought was the key to find something in a save which was in a radio. And then I hear this music goes out, you know, outside. And there was this big ribbon on top of this car, no black way. and a color. Can't stop crying. Jamie Oliver just got it better. It was my dream, my dream car when I was young. I must told him, you know, my, you know, I loved, I loved, I loved it. And he said, yeah, big boy, we love you. Oh, how cool is that? How cool is that? But they've never, they've never talked since, apparently. Uh, right, no, of course they have. Right. Gennaro's, Gennaro's E-Type is in his garage. Gennaro's Cucina is on a bookshelf in a bookshop near you. Yes. Thank you, Gennaro. 
The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Cinch. Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the best bits from the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Cinch. And don't forget to subscribe if you never want to miss your weekly roundup of all our best bits. Goodbye for now. 